Well, I'm so glad you guys all chose to come out today. You know, there's a lot of different things that are going on, and I'm pretty sure there's a whole lot of different, well, places you could be, especially on one of the um, few wonderful, beautiful Sundays as today, you know. I want to warmly welcome my friend Jeff and his son Luke. Jeff was uh, in seminary back when I was a youth pastor at Moraine Valley, and uh, he's been the pastor at Elmwood Park Bible Church for about a hundred years, all right? And somehow they let him out of the, uh, the fold today, and, and he's there worshiping with us. And you know, and as I greeted you, and as I looked around and uh, saw you folks coming in, recognizing that, hey, this is a special day. Now, for some of you, well, this is Palm Sunday, and it's the beginning of Holy Week, at least all over the world. And some of you look at that and say, well, what, you know, uh, what's that all about, you know? But to our culture, in some ways, this week marks a week that's really, really special. And I'm glad you're here today, not because it's Palm Sunday. I'm glad you're here because as we begin to worship a great God, and as we begin to hear from our God, our lives begin to change. We are transformed. And we, each one of us, have an opportunity to be able to see God differently. We get to meet with God's people. And and some of the folks that just came back from Honduras, they, they see the different churches and they see the different scenarios that are going on down there. And, and we are blessed. We are blessed to be able to come here and focus on our amazing God. Well, let me paint a picture for you. You see, the Passover celebration was less than a week away for Jesus and the disciples. Passover was a big deal. Now, you've heard that term before. Unless you have Hebrew roots or, or you're part of the Jewish faith, Passover would be, well, maybe just something that kind of happens once a year. But Passover was a big deal. It was the time when the Jews were reminded of God's great love and their redemption. You know, Moses, just about a million years ago, was their leader. And the Israelites, well, many of you know the story, were slaves in Egypt. And they cried out to God, and God sent Moses, an unbelievable leader, to be able to lead them out to bring redemption. And after a series of events, the last plague that was brought on Egypt was called the Passover. And really what happened at that moment was is that all the Jewish people gathered together and they slaughtered a lamb and they ate certain foods and they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And God said this, that if you put the blood on the doorposts, I will pass over you. The death angel will literally pass over. But anyone without that blood, well, the firstborn in that household and the firstborn of animals and the firstborn 
Well, they would be slaughtered. So the children of Israel listened. And there was great glee in the land and great, well, trauma in the land all at one time. Well, the Jews again were ushered out of Egypt and God led them right to the Red Sea and brought up a rather difficult challenge. You've got Egyptians chasing you and you've got the Red Sea in front of you. And God again did maybe one of the greatest of all the miracles in the Old Testament. Moses opened up the Red Sea. And the Israelites marched through on dry ground. Many of you know the story is after they got all the way through the Red Sea is that the Egyptians, they also chased them, but God then closed the water. And there was great rejoicing. There was unbelievable joy in the camp of the Israelites because God had defeated the longtime enemy called Egypt. So Passover... Passover was a celebration of their redemption. Passover looked back and was so grateful for what God did in a Jew's life. Well, this year, Passover actually is April 10th through 18th. It starts tomorrow at uh, at sunset and goes all the way to the 18th at sunset. Back 2,000 years ago, when Jesus roamed this planet, the temple was in Jerusalem. And so whenever anybody came to celebrate the Passover, you'd want to celebrate it in Jerusalem. And you'd want to be able to go there with all the other pilgrims that would come and make this trek every year. Jesus and his disciples were there. But Jews all over the world had made this pilgrimage to participate in the Seder meal and to celebrate the Passover lamb. How ironic as we look back. The Jews celebrating the redemption that God had brought thousands of years before, and yet Jesus was just about to enter the city. The perfect lamb. The sacrificial lamb. God had this in his plans and it was perfect. You see, whenever God-fearing Jews gathered together, conversations would eventually get to the Messiah. Jews were always hopeful and ever anticipating that their Messiah would come soon, even if it was during the Passover. Today, well, it didn't make any difference. This was an exciting time in this city. Everyone was hustling and bustling. The prophets had faithfully talked about the coming Messiah. And those who were part of the Jewish faith, they understood the prophecies in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, which was God's word, was written over a span of a thousand years. It accurately spoke of the coming king. It was completed about 450 years before Christ was born. The disciples knew the word at this time, and they were excited. In fact, here's some reasons why they were excited. Some very well-known prophecies, prophecies that were given at least 400 years before Jesus came. They learned that the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of David. 
And that was in Jeremiah 23. And so out of all the families and all the backgrounds, well, the disciples knew that Jesus came from that lineage. So they were pretty excited about that part. They also knew that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7. That alone should probably put a billboard up, okay? Never was that done before, and no one actually understood this, and how anybody could conceive without two parents was well beyond anybody. But they knew that the Messiah was going to be born of a virgin. They also knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, in Micah 5.2. Bethlehem at that city was a very small city, probably only about a thousand people. So these are just few of the 300 prophecies about the Messiah. But the disciples knew. They understood who Jesus was. But you know what's even more mind-boggling is this. Some of you may be in probability. You may understand numbers. Now, if you've hung out with me, you know I don't understand numbers. All right? I'm pretty good with helping my grandkids up to about second grade with their math. All right? And then then I get a little bit confused after that. But one thing I know about probability is that there are just certain odds. Whether it's who's going to win the World Series... Cubs are a little bit higher than the Sox this year on perhaps that happening. It's called probability, all right? And so you look at this, and what are my odds of winning, or what are my odds of this actually happening? Well, if we just take one prophecy, the chance of the Messiah born in Bethlehem, which is a town of only a 1,000, as I mentioned, There's one chance in 300,000 that the Messiah would be born right there. Now, those are bad odds. I wouldn't like that odd. But but it continues. If we were to take only eight of the 300 prophecies and work that out, and it's not we because we doesn't do this, okay, okay? But those mathematicians that do that and tell us about probability and just take eight of the 300 and say, hey, what are the odds for Jesus being this Messiah? It would be 10 with 17 zeros behind it. It's a lot of zeros. The odds are unbelievable. If we go a little bit further, and I don't even know why the article stopped here, except that maybe we just don't even know how many zeros it can be added. But if you take 48 prophecies, okay, the odds for one person to be able to line up with 48 prophecies, and there are over 300, okay, is 10 to the 157th power. It's 157 zeros. Okay, so this is so way beyond me. I'm I'm just letting you know. All I know is that for one person to actually 
qualify for all of these predictions. It just shows us Jesus really is the Messiah. Now, one of the prophecies that was extremely relevant to the disciples, well, we find it in Zechariah 9.9. And this prophecy says this, the Messiah someday would be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. On a donkey. You see, in Zechariah 9.9, the prophet writes this, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus came in on Palm Sunday. Some of you might even wonder, like, hey, if a king is coming in, and shouldn't he come in, like, on this white horse or this black stallion and show all this power? Well, realistically, the folks knew that when a king would come in riding on a donkey, that it would be a sign of humility. It would be a sign that he would be coming in peace. The victories are done. Jesus came in riding on a donkey. The disciples at this time had to be pinching themselves as they entered Jerusalem. They knew about these prophecies. And somehow, even though Jesus has spent the last three years with them, they're going, oh, this is kind of cool. All this is coming together. And now, Jesus, you're coming into Jerusalem at just the perfect time, and everybody will be able to crown you as king. Remember, the disciples all knew they, that Jesus was the, or was the Messiah. Remember Peter's remarks in all three of the synoptics when Jesus had the disciples aside and just said, hey guys, who, who are people saying that I am? Well, some are saying you're a pretty good prophet and you're a pretty good healer and maybe you might be John the Baptist come back from the dead. But Peter... In this powerful voice, says, we know who you are, Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You came. You are the one sent by God. You are the king. So the disciples knew this. So they were jacked. But for the most part, what the disciples were doing were really... um, only listening to some of Jesus' teaching. They loved the king part. They loved that Jesus would come in in power and authority, and he would bring peace. Yeah, that's the Jesus we want. But they seemed to forget that Jesus talked as much about suffering and dying. You see, no one understood that paradigm of a king. Why would you come into this world? Why would all these prophecies happen? And why would you really come to the world in order to be crucified and die? See, Jesus was an obedient son. So he was in tune with his dad. And he understood his father's will. And he understood his father's timing perfectly. But really, about six months before Jesus literally got on that donkey... There was something that clicked. 
almost there was a, a line drawn in the sand. And we see it in Luke chapter 9. And you can turn your Bibles if you want there to chapter 9, verse 51. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Literally, the scripture says this. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You know, there's another prophecy in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. In the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was placed on that donkey, said this. Therefore I have set my face like a stone, or resolute, or some of your versions, like flint, determined to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. You see, Jesus knew one thing. That his life involved Jerusalem. And although people really wanted to make him king, adore him king, wanted him to come and destroy Rome and make everything just really perfect, Jesus knew that was not his dad's plan. And although he had been teaching six months before, He said, my time is coming. I don't know if actually he taught differently. I don't know if he was a little bit more passionate because I kind of believe that Jesus really taught in perfect way, always at the right time. But there seemed to be something when he said, my time is coming. You see, it clearly taught his father's plans to his disciples again and again. In Luke 21, just before this, Luke chapter 9, verse 21, Jesus says this, He warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He said he will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Over and over, Jesus knew that he would be the sacrificial lamb. He would be the Passover lamb. He would be the one whose blood was spilt in order that people would be able to come to life. He knew six months down the road that he would be the lamb on the cross. You know, the disciples, as I said, were very familiar with prophecies, but they had to know Isaiah 53. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm actually going to read most of the chapter. Remember, this was written about 700 years before Christ. And although it didn't look very um, sad or despairing on Psalm, excuse me, on Palm Sunday, but Friday was coming. Look what the, look what the prophet Isaiah writes. Verse 2. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. 
There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, and he looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was for our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. And had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was to the Lord's good plan. Whoa, I'm going to read that sentence again. But it was to the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have made many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. You see, the Messiah... God's chosen one would be a very, very different king. This would be so odd if you would read this and say, hey, the king's coming to town. Let's treat him like this. No, it would make a whole lot more sense to throw a party, to have a parade, to give him the greatest of places to live, to honor him, to adore him. But God said this, the very king that will bring life. My plan is for him to die on a cross. In fact, my plan is for him to be despised and rejected. My plan is for him to be pierced and beaten and whipped. He will stand silent before his accusers. He never did any wrong but he was unjustly accused. He was killed in the prime of his life. He was put in a rich man's tomb. He was crucified among criminals. You know, so many of us don't even understand is that this type of crucifixion, 
especially here in Isaiah 53 and in Psalm 22, didn't even come into account until hundreds of years after this was written. And lastly, he bore our sins as an offering for our sins, as an opportunity for many to be made righteous. You see, we are all sinful. That's what the Bible says, and we don't even have to read the Bible to know that we're sinful. Nobody teaches your three-year-old how to lie, how to deceive, how to get to the edge. You know, when Dave, who was leading our worship today, talked about just his sinfulness, and he says he can't believe, and this isn't your exact words, but, but you can't believe how sinful you are. And I saw myself in the front row there, and I'm shaking my head. I was not shaking my head because I think Dave is sinful. <laughs> Although I think maybe he is. All right, I only know the good Dave a lot, you know. But I'm shaking my head because every one of us need to say that. Even if you're really, 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 really super wonderful, good, and you have one sin, just one, that's enough to separate us because God is a holy God. God is a pure God. And any sin is an abomination. But you know, this plan Way in the beginning of time, when good old Adam and Eve decided to go rogue, said, I can't live without a relationship with these people. So I'm going to have the Messiah born of a woman. And he's going to come. And someday he's going to ride into Jerusalem. And people are going to applaud him. And people are going to wave palm leaves at him. And people are going to throw their clothes down in front of the donkey. And everyone is going to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, King of Kings. But that's only going to work that Sunday. Just one day. He's going to continue to teach. He's going to continue to do some amazing miracles. He's going to have a last supper with his disciples. We forget that that was the Seder meal. That was the Passover meal. And he changed everything at the Passover meal. He said, I just want you to know, this is a brand new covenant. This is a brand new thing. We're not going to be focusing on a lamb hundreds and thousands of years ago. We're going to focus on the lamb that's going to shed his blood in just a few hours on a tree. Because not only you, Dave, are extremely wicked, but so am I. All this world. He goes, that's the kind of king we have. The king that loves us, the king that is so grateful to listen to his dad 
and go through the pain and the agony so that we could be called a son or a daughter and have a relationship that will allow us to experience abundant life right now and eternal life forever. You see, that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what you hear every Sunday at this pulpit, is that God is an amazing God that loves us like crazy. And we don't understand all that he did or why he did all that he did. Except it was the only way we could be redeemed. So here we have thousands of Jews excited about their redemption from Egypt so many years ago. When Jesus marches into a city knowing that he is the one-time sacrifice for all time. The only one that could do that. The only sinless, perfect lamb that walked this planet. And he said, Dad, are you sure? Is there any other way? Can we do this differently? And so his pain, his agony, his hurt, his shed blood allows us to worship him with abandon today. As I mentioned, he continued to teach about the kingdom and model for his disciples what it actually looks like to live underneath the reign and the rule of God. That's what he did for three years. He taught us what it means to be so in sync with God, his Father. Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. He was so confusing at this time. Yes, the disciples heard. Yes, they understood the prophecies. They all had Isaiah 53. They all did. But no one wanted to listen to that. No one. It's just, ah, it's wrong. Let's get the king that just benefits us in every way, and we'll just have a lot of wine on the table, a lot of food on the plate, and life will be good. You see, the people were fickle, while the disciples were confused, maybe even scared, maybe even in denial. But Jesus knew one thing, Sunday is coming. As much as they thought the king should be crowned on that first Sunday in Palm. And as it progressed, and as eventually comes to a place where he has this last supper, sharing again with the disciples the plan, reminding them over and over that Sunday was coming. I will rise from the dead. 
I will bring life to all who believe in me. Your lives will be so totally different. In fact, even just a little further down, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. He's going to live within you. And you think it's cool that I'm around? You just wait. Holy Spirit, wow! He's coming. He's coming. But that's about Sunday. You know, Holy Week for us is being reminded of God's amazing love. No doubt about it. God cares so much about us. He cares so much that even though Jesus, the Son, wanted to do things the different way, he chose to listen to his dad. You know, we sang a song just a little before I came up. And it goes something like this. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. But blessed be the name of God. You know, I think the greatest truth that each one of us can take away today is not only God's love, but he listened to God so well that even though the plan looked absolutely confusing, ridiculous, crazy to everybody else, he decided, I'm going to do what God says. And we are blessed because of it. He trusted his dad because he knew Sunday was coming. Yeah, I got to be honest. Not every one of us know what's coming ahead. He gives and he takes away. And I would love to be the pastor, be able to go to every sick bed and say, I know God's will is to heal you. Every person that just lost their job, you know what? I'm going to pray, boom, you're going to have a good job tomorrow. You know what? That teenager that seems to, uh, okay, making some really poor choices, I'm going to pray right now, tomorrow they are going to wake up, boom, love God with all their heart. I know this, is that we're called to listen to our God. He's going to walk with us. That's what he promises. He's going to give us unbelievable strength for the day. And tomorrow when we wake up, he gives us strength for tomorrow. And even during the hard times, the most ridiculous things, like, are you serious? Dying on a cross, shedding my blood. God, really? He goes, listen to me. You model that for me. My plan is best. And there will be people who benefit if you listen to me. That's good news. I'm so grateful that Jesus listened. I'm grateful for his mercy. I'm really grateful that he died. 
this Friday, we'd love to have you come back. It will be the only service all year long that you will end in a somber, depressed, dark state. And it will end that way because we celebrate a whole lot differently on Easter when we realize how dark Friday was. I hope you can come back. I hope you can put that in your schedules. I hope that you can come and feel all that God has done for us. So that when we come back a week from today, you not only come back, but you bring everybody that you know that is either confused or doesn't understand God's grace. And say, would you come? This resurrection thing has rocked my world. I'd love, I'd love for you to join me. Father, we come together today. We know more than anything, God, that We don't get you at times. We don't even understand why you allow us to go through certain things at times. But God, we want to trust you better. We want to learn from you. We want to sit at your feet. We want you to be glorified. And Lord, every time we don't listen to you, well, we screw up. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the life that he led, for the way he taught his disciples, for how perfectly he heard your voice. And when every one of us, if we would have been on a donkey, would have said, yeah, this is what we like. Jesus said, I want to do what you want, God. Would we be an army of people here at Cross Point that walk with you, listen to you, and share the good news of Christ on the cross who is raised from the dead. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.